Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day, we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 this evening. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word. We, we think of all the things that your word does when it's preached, all the ways in which it comforts and builds up your saints, in which it convicts us of our sins, in which it strengthens us uh, in the faith. And Lord, we, we do pray now knowing that, uh, Lord, as, as Christians, we, we really do face real opposition. There is a need to endure as there is a need in every age to endure. And we do pray that through the preaching of your word now, O Lord, that your people would be strengthened, uh, your people strengthened so as to contend well for the faith, to run the, the race that is marked before them. And that, Lord, on uh, 
the last day that it would be seen that all of us have reached the goal, that there is not one that would be missing, O Lord, but that all will have run the race uh, with endurance sufficient to finish it. Uh, Lord, we do uh, pray that you would strengthen us in this way. Uh, for Lord, we, we know we're very much aware of the need for your spirit, knowing that if the word goes forth and is even preached well, that if it is not accompanied with your spirit, that there can be no benefit, there can be no lasting significance, no advancement of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we do pray, we do plead with you that, that by your spirit that this would not be some empty exercise, O Lord, but that it would strengthen the hearts of your people. Lord, we do ask that you would grant us your spirit now uh, for the sake of the glory of your own name. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we have been looking at the reality of faith. Remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about what true faith is. And one of the things that we have seen is that true faith is persevering faith. Uh, those who have true faith will persevere to the end. This has been the point that the author has been making even before chapter 11. You think of the, the uh, going back to the exhortations in the middle of chapter 10, and that being really building on all of the theological points that the author has made to this point. The entire book of Hebrews really is all about exhorting the people of God to endure. Uh, you are to be faithful to God. You are to en endure all the trials, the opposition that's coming. The author does not say it's going to be easy. He rather says it's going to be difficult. It, it, it was difficult for the people that the author was addressing. And he says, even in the midst of difficulty, yet you are to hold fast. Now, in this, uh, really, in a lot of ways, is, is a conclusion to the exhortation that was begun in the middle of chapter 10, we have here the author using the metaphor of a race. Uh, not just any race, but a race that requires endurance. So the author here is not speaking of a sprint, not a short burst that, that ends almost as quickly as it starts, where it's just going as fast as you can and you know that it will be over. Uh, faith is not like that. Uh, faith is like a long race. It is like a marathon. It is like a race of endurance. And, and what this means then, if you were to ask then, what does true faith require? What is required of you? It requires that you keep going. If you've ever run a race of endurance, you'll know that this is exactly the way it is. You've just got to keep going. It starts off, it's not that difficult. You're not running that fast. But then the miles accrue. You slowly, your legs tighten up. It becomes more and more difficult. The temptation to turn back slowly or to stop slowly grows over time, but you must endure. You must endure. Those who endure are the ones who finish the race. And what the author is saying is that this is the, the way faith is. This is the way the Christian life is. The Christian life is like an endurance race, and you must finish. You must finish. It will be hard at times. It will be hard, but you must Finish. What you have need of, as the author says at the end of chapter 10, what you have need of is endurance. Now, true faith is, is the faith that endures, faith that finishes the race. The question then to ask is, how can you endure? What are you to do in order to endure? What, what is necessary to have the kind of faith that will endure to the end? And 
the answer that is given here is that you must look to Jesus. In, in a race of endurance, those who finish are those who have strong legs and a strong heart. In the Christian life, those who finish are those who look to Christ. That is the bedrock of, of, of endurance. Uh, if you look to Christ, you will endure. If you do not look to Christ, you will not endure. This is the conclusion. Everything that the author has been saying in chapter 11 is really driving to uh, this conclusion here in chapter 12. And so we'll look at this, uh, this passage under, under uh, just two headings this evening. We'll look at the exhortation to run in verse 1. And then, and then the need to look to Jesus in verses 2 and 3. So the, uh, the, the author says, you must run, verse 1, and you do this. If you were to ask, how do, you do, uh, how do you do this? You do this by looking to Jesus in verses 2 and 3. Now, you'll notice that in the beginning of, uh, of verse 1, the author begins by speaking about a, a cloud of witnesses. He says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, knowing that there is a, a linking uh, word to what comes before. He says, therefore, uh, therefore, um, this is to say, in light of all that I've said to this point, particularly in chapter 11, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the, the, the idea is here, why are you to run? Why are you to run this race of faith? Well, you are surrounded by so many people that have also run this, this race and who have borne witness to the fact that it is, in fact, worth it to continue this race. Now, the first question with regard to verse 1 that we have to ask is, who are these witnesses? Who are the witnesses that the author is speaking of? And the answer is, it's everyone whom he's spoken about in chapter 11. That's the point. Who are the cloud of witnesses that the author is speaking of? Well, it would be Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and others, all the prophets, all those who have been faithful to God. And the point is, is that the author has shown uh, to us how all of these ran the race of faith well. They all finished the race and they endured even to the point of, of death. Many of them, in fact, did die for the sake of the faith. And they died, as the author said over and over again, not having received the promises. They ran the race well, expecting more to come in the future and were willing to die for the sake of the faith. In the midst of all opposition, they were able to endure. And now, the point is, is that they are now witnesses to the greatness of the grace of God. That's the reason why the author calls them witnesses. Um, they, they have testified with their lives that, and have borne witness with their very lives, even by their deaths, that it is worth it for a person to hold fast to the grace of God and to maintain their faith all the way to the end. They have borne witness to this great fact. Now, the word for witness in Greek is actually the word where we, uh, that we use to get the word martyr. So if you were to you know, transliterate the, the, the word for witness into Greek, it would, be, it, it, would, it, would, it would in fact be martyr. And this is what we're saying when we speak about martyrs. Um, we're, we're, the idea is coming even from texts like this, like Hebrews 11. The idea is that we are saying uh, they have by their lives and even in their deaths borne witness to the greatness of the grace of God. They have sealed their testimony with their blood, and that's why they're called martyrs. As a martyr, they are witnesses to the greatness of the grace of God. Now, what is the function 
of all of these witnesses? What's the function of all these, of all these witnesses? Uh, the author uh, tells us by the way in which he uses them here. So again, if you were to ask, you know, why go through all these long descriptions in chapter 11? Well, the answer is because uh, understanding how others who came before you held fast to the faith, even in the midst of great opposition, is to be a great encouragement for you to do the same. That's the idea. The exhortation is this, you must run. You must run the race. You must run the race well with endurance. And one of the reasons why you should be encouraged to run the race well is because look at all the other people who came before you who also ran the race well. And they were willing to be faithful unto death. And they have testified that it is worth it. And therefore, you can see in their lives and in their deaths that it is in fact worth it. Therefore, you run the race as well. The function of these witnesses is to be an encouragement for you to continue on. And, and brothers and sisters, this is uh, as, just as an aside as well, this is one of the, the great uses of learning about, the, about various martyrs who died all throughout the history of the church. Now, as I mentioned last week, you know, the author here is, is speaking about the Old Testament uh, saints, and he says, you know, what more can I say? Time has failed me to discuss all these various people. But as I mentioned last week, you know, time could fail you even doubly as you think about all of the Christians who have died all throughout the history of, this, of the church. Um, we are surrounded by the cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11 for sure, but in some sense we are also surrounded by uh, all the cloud of witnesses, uh, all the people who have, who have died for the sake of the faith in the 2,000 years since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been many, many people who have sealed the testimony, the testimony of their faith with their blood and have shown by their life and by their death that it is in fact worth it. It's in fact worth it to continue. And so th this is one of the great uses. You know, what, um, if, you, if you think about um, you're going through difficult times, there's opposition, and you're wondering, you know, what, what's one thing that I can do that can be an encouragement to me to, to go on? One of the things that could be a great benefit to your soul is simply to read about Christian martyrs and to see uh, the situations that were faced and to know then that you're not alone, that very many people have gone through similar situations no matter what you're going through, and very many people have endured uh, even much more than you, and they, they held fast. And you can read their words, read the way they thought. You can see even, even their own weaknesses and yet also that their faith endured, their faith endured to the end. And the point is that the author is saying, look, you are surrounded by all these kinds of people. Therefore, therefore run the race well. Run the, way, run the race well. Now, not only are you surrounded by all these witnesses, but then he says in the, in the second part of verse one, if you were to ask, how are you to run? He says, you are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, uh, the way this is translated here, uh, this is basically another exhortation. Really, the main exhortation is let us run at the end of verse 1. The idea with regard to laying aside every weight and sin is that this is, this is basically the way in which you are to run. So, we know that we must run. Everything, everything around verses 1 through 3 is basically explaining and reinforcing the exhortation to run the race. You know that you must run. One of the reasons you must run is because you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. How are you to run? How are you to run the race? One of the things that you are to do is to cast aside every sin. Uh, sin here is being compared to a weight. So here, the, the, the way this, this part of verse 1 works is that the, the, the first description is the metaphor. 
The second description is the, the thing that the metaphor stands for. So it's not that you set aside every weight and then you separately set aside every sin. The point is that the sin is the weight. So you are to set aside every weight and that weight is the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, the reason why sin is being compared to a weight is because the author is continuing with the, the metaphor of a race. The Christian life is a race. If you are running an endurance race, the absolute last thing you would ever want to do is to put on ankle weights and to run the entire race like that, especially if your goal is to win. Uh, no one who wants to win, win a race of any distance is ever going to strap on weights to themselves in order to tie them down. You're not gonna put on ankle weights or chest weights. You're gonna make yourself as light as possible. Everyone, everyone would know this. Uh, the person who wants to win the race is going to be the one that is as light as possible. So in the race of faith, what would be the equivalent of putting weights on yourself before the race? The answer would be being ensnared by sin. Uh, if, if you are ensnared by habitual sins in your life, the point that the author is making is, is that this will drag you down. It will make running the race difficult. It's already going to be hard. It's already going to require great endurance. But if you, if, if you have unrepentant sin, if you are not putting sin to death in your life, it is going to be all the harder. It's going to be basically impossible. And so part of the exhortation then to endure with regard to the Christian life is that you must be diligent to put sin to death in your life. You must be absolutely diligent to put sin to death. There are all kinds of reasons that could be given for why you are to, to put sin to death in your life. And we talk about them, them all the time. Uh, even the, 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 the first, foremost, most important one is because sin is dishonoring to God. The God who loves you hates your sin. He hates your sin. And if you love God, you should hate your sin too. That's the best reason why you are to get rid of your sin. But even here, the author's given another one. If you do not get rid of your sin, it will drag your faith down and you will have a great difficulty in running the race of faith. You, you know, it's possible that you could creep over the finish line on the last day, but it's also possible. And you, you must recognize very many people will in fact not make it to the end because of their sins. Uh, and the reason for this is because true faith is a faith that repents, a faith that repents, wherein uh, there is real growth that is given to a Christian by God, uh, where the, the chains and the shackles of sin are in fact broken. Uh, if the chains and the shackles of sin are still on you, and I'm not talking about whether or not you, you sin at all, everyone continues to sin, no one's gonna be perfect, but the question is, is, is sin being perpetually mortified in your life? If it is not, you cannot finish the race. If you are bound by the shackles, you are not going to be able to reach the finish line. The chains are not long enough. That's the point. The chains are not long enough. The chains must be broken. And then even as they're broken, what the author is saying here is, as you're running the, uh, as you're running the race, cast aside everything. No sin is ever going to help you finish this race. It is going to ensnare you and entangle you. This is the way that, that sin is described in verse 1. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. If you're ensnared, you're not going to be able to run a race well either. Get rid of every single sin. Uh, how are you to run the race? We're going to look at more elements of how you, you can run the race. But one of the ways in which you must run the race is running the race by being diligent to put sin to death. Be diligent to put sin uh, to death. 
and therefore run the race with endurance. Notice that is the main exhortation of the verse, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Uh, the point here that the author is making is there is in fact a race. It's right in front of you and there is no way to avoid it. There's no way to say that I will take a different path, a different route to heaven. Uh, before every single Christian is this race. There is a great need for endurance for every Christian. Um, this is why we call it the perseverance of the saints. Every true saint will persevere, but he will persevere by making it to the finish line in the race that is set before him. Every Christian has this race that is set before him. And brothers and sisters, you must run it. Now, is there anything else that the author can tell us or does tell us about how you are to run? How you are to run. We know one element of how we are to run from verse 1 is that we are to cast aside every sin. But how else are we to run this race? Now, note this is, in fact, a metaphor. Um, you know, you, you don't, your faith doesn't increase by actually running. Um, there, is, there is something you can do that's, that's akin to running in the metaphor. And what is that? How are you to run the race? Uh, the author has already given us a negative element to running. You cast aside every weight and sin, so that is do not be tangled by sin. Is there something positive? What are you actually to do? And the answer that is given in verses 2 and 3 is, is that you are to look to Jesus. Knowing the, uh, notice the way that uh, verse 2 relates, the beginning of verse 2, looking unto Jesus, relates to the exhortation at the end of verse 1, let us run. That is, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Uh, looking there modifies the exhortation, let us run. Such that we could say it's describing how you are to run. How are you to run? You are to run by looking to Jesus. This is really the most important uh, thing that you can do in terms of this race. Uh, all those who succeed will in fact succeed because they have looked to Jesus. And you could say even further, uh, all of the cloud of witnesses, all of the witnesses from chapter 11, all of them endured because they looked to Jesus. They looked to the promise of the Messiah given in the prophets. And through that promise, they endured. They, they endured by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that this does if you were to, to ask, how is Jesus related to all these, the, the cloud of witnesses that's described in, in chapter 12, verse 1, or in, in, uh, or in all of chapter 11, the answer is that, is that this makes Christ in a completely separate category from all the other witnesses. Uh, the witnesses are those whom we look to who are like us in our weakness, who have a need to endure and to run. Uh, Christ is not the best of these witnesses who has run the, the race and who we, we, we follow as one who is like the, you know, the best of all the runners, he is in a completely separate category because he is the object of faith for every single one who runs. So, so he's not, in, in this metaphor, he's not, he's not running alongside of us and is just the best at it. But he is the one who determines whether or not you will be able to endure. So, so Moses can't do this for you. Uh, Daniel can't do it for you. Uh, Enoch can't do that for you. Uh, uh, they endure because they look to him. All the witnesses have borne witness to the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point is that if you are to endure, you will endure because you have looked to him as well. Uh, this is even the testimony of all the martyrs all throughout the history of the church. They endure because they are looking to the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of verse 2 is all about describing Christ. So, so basically the question is, why would looking to Jesus be the way in which you run this race of faith? How is it that looking to Jesus will enable you to endure? Why is it that this is really the main way in which you run? Well, the reason is because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, one. And secondly, he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning his shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God. Because this is who Jesus is, which is, again, completely different from, from everyone else. Because this is who he is. Therefore, if you are to run the race well, you must look to Christ. Looking to Christ is going to be the main way in which you are able to run uh, this, race, uh, this race well. You must know who Jesus is. Now, the first thing that's said about him is that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, uh, one thing that's a little bit easy to miss in terms of the etymology of these words um, w w uh, with regard to author and, and finisher, and actually author and finisher is, is, is a good way to do it, but the point is that the, the word author, the root is related to beginning, and finisher, the root is related to end. So the idea is that from beginning to end, he is the one who caused the beginning and the one who is there at the end. He, he, he puts it there at the beginning and he brings it to completion at the end. So if you, you have this long race, there is a need to begin, there's a need to run in the middle, and there's a need to complete the race at the end. And the point is that from the beginning to the end, Jesus is in fact the author and finisher of that faith. No matter where you are on your race, no matter where you are, you always have need to look to Jesus. You always need to look to Jesus. Now, this, this is for, for several reasons. He is the beginning and end of our faith in the sense that he is always the object of our faith. Uh, at the beginning, when you are first converted, he is the object of your faith. Uh, he is the one to whom you look for salvation initially. He is also the one whom you'll look to at the very end. Uh, Jesus will always be, in this sense, the author and finisher of your faith. He's the beginning and the end. But also, also the word author uh, also has the meaning of something like pioneer or captain, um, like a, a forerunning hero who paves the way for those who follow. Uh, this is the meaning that is given to the word in chapter 2, verse 10. So this is a, another place where uh, the, author, the, uh, the only other place in the book of Hebrews, to my knowledge, uh, that uses this word. And there, our version uh, here translates it uh, there as captain. Um, the, the idea here is that Christ has is the beginning, he's the, the author of our faith in the sense that, that he's the one who has accomplished the thing that needs to be accomplished in the beginning for us to have faith. He's the one who went there before us. Uh, very similar to the way the author describes Christ in, at the end of uh, chapter 6, where he calls Christ our forerunner. So he is, he's entered first into the Holy of Holies, uh, not just as one who just runs like us, but he's the one who opened the way. So the idea is that the way is shut. No one can get in. But Christ, as the author of our faith, has gone in ahead of us, and he's opened the way so that now all of us can go. And, and even further than that, uh, he's also the one who not, didn't just go forward first to, to open up the way for us to be able to go. He's also the one who will come back for us, as the author says at the end of, of chapter 9, and bring us finally to be with himself. The way has been opened for you to enter now through Christ, the author of your faith, and the, the bringing you into the consummation when you'll be with Christ forever as the finisher of your faith, 
that, that also comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire span of your race, therefore, is dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's even another way in which this could be taken, and that is that Christ is the author of our faith as the one who produces faith in us by giving the Spirit. Uh, this is something that is said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. He's the one that grants faith. You know, no one knows the Father except the Son and everyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Uh, Christ is the author of your faith because He has given you your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. He is the one who will continue to build your faith all the way until uh, the last day. You think of the way that the Apostle Paul describes the building up of the church through the giving of the Spirit in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4. And there the whole theological root of that is that Christ has ascended to the right hand of God. He's received the Spirit from the Father. And it is through this outpouring of the Spirit that all of us grow in our faith. There's no growing in faith, in faith without the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in all of these ways, Christ is the author and finisher of our faith the captain, the perfecter, however you would like to take it. Uh, Christ is the beginning and the end of everything. And therefore, in the race of faith, no matter where you are in the race, what you must do is look to Christ. This, this is the reason why looking to Christ is the running. It's not just that, that there's, there's this and then something else. The, the way in which you run, the moving of your feet, so to speak, in the race, is looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's turning away from your sins that you might look to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way in which you run. And secondly, not only is Christ the author and finisher of our faith, but he is also the one who in his life and death, it was shaped by humiliation and exaltation. And this is to be a great encouragement to you as well to endure. And so the author says first with regard to his humiliation, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, the first question to ask is, what is meant by the joy set before him? What, what was the joy that brought the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross? Now, one thing it's actually not, that it cannot be, is it cannot be referring to the love that the Son has for the Father before all ages. Because this is something that he already had and that he, that in, in some sense, never changes. It, it, was not, it was not that, but it was rather, uh, as, as one author has put it from the 17th century, it is the salvation of the people of God and, and bringing glory to God in the salvation of his people. Bringing glory to God in the salvation of his people. Uh, that was the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, who delighted to do his Father's will, who loved his people and desired them to be with him, went to the cross and scorned the shame of the cross. Why did he scorn the shame? Because the thought of saving his people and being with them forever was enough for him to say, I will gladly endure all of that shame that these, my people, might be with me. That is the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for you. He was willing to do anything the, 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 the fact that he was willing to do anything can be very clearly seen by the reality that he did, in fact, go to the cross. There was nothing more that he could have done. This was the, the greatest sacrifice that could have been given. Uh, what, what could possibly show love for a person more than a person dying for uh, uh, another? This is the, uh, the point that, that Paul makes in Romans chapter 5. 
Uh, Christ has, uh, God has shown his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All a man can give is himself. And you can give yourself in death for a person and that's it. But Christ has given himself in such a way that it goes even beyond that. Because in Christ's death, he died the most shameful death imaginable, enduring not just terrible pain from men, but enduring even the wrath of God for the sake of his people. And he did this that he might have you, that he might have you, that he might bring glory to God in saving you from your sins. This was the joy that was set before him. You, another way to think about it, of it would be, um, you know, a, a person uh, can, can know something about uh, what something, how valuable something is to a person by what he's willing to give for it. Um, you know, you, you may value something to a point and you're saying, I'm willing to give this for it. But then at this point, there's, it's no longer as valuable as, as I, w I would be unwilling to give anything more than this. But what, what limit could be placed on the love of Christ as it's given to you? Where was the point where there was a stop? Christ says, for my people, I am willing to endure the wrath of God. For my people, I'm willing to endure the wrath of God. That is the joy that is set before me that I might have these people. He, he, he has done this for you that you might endure. The, the love and the joy that Christ has for his people could be uh, very much compared to uh, a, a bridegroom who, who sees his bride in her wedding dress when the doors open at the back of the church and she begins to walk down the aisle. And you can see, if you've ever been to any wedding, the, the face of the bridegroom at that point. Uh, brothers and sisters, that is a, a small reflection of the great love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for you. It's a small reflection of the great joy that he feels at the thought of you, such that as the Apostle Paul says at the end of Ephesians 1, that he actually considers himself to be incomplete if he does not have you. The church is the fullness of him who already fills all in all. Christ already fills all in all, and yet in his mercy and grace and his love for you, he considers himself incomplete unless he has you. Because the church is the fullness of him uh, who does in fact fill uh, all and all. Christ did this for you that you might endure. But his humiliation is not even all the story because he was also exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, the humiliation whereby Christ showed his incomprehensible love was followed by glorification to the right hand of God. And here we have another uh, allusion to uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. Uh, really, this is a theme throughout the entire book. We've, we've had a, a occasion to note all the ways in which the author uses Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, where uh, the son of David, who's also David's Lord, sits down at the right hand of God and has every enemy placed under his feet. And really, um, you could even take Psalm 110 to be uh, the text for the sermon for the, the author, uh, uh, for the letter to the Hebrews. As we'll see at the end of, of chapter 13, as we've had occasion to note as well, the, uh, the letter to the Hebrews is really a sermon. It's, it's structured as a sermon and it's declared to be a sermon at the end. And if you were to ask, what is the text of the sermon? The answer would be Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the text for the sermon that he is in fact preaching. And here the point is, is once again, he goes back to Psalm 110 verse 1, that um, uh, the one to whom you look for strength to be able to finish this race is the one who did not just stay dead, but who was raised from the dead and is even now at the right hand of God. 
The author said it in so many different ways to this point. This is the last reference to Psalm 110 verse 1 that he'll make. And the point that he's made every single time is that the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely sovereign and reigns over all. He is higher than the angels and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will bring many sons to glory. He was made a little bit lower than the angels in some ways, but he was uh, in the incarnation and yet he was also crowned with glory and honor. And he is the one uh, who ascended on high and sits down at the right hand of God. And therefore, as you think about all that you need to do in order to run this race, uh, if you were to ask, you know, what can I do? How can I strengthen my faith? The answer is you must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why all of these descriptions? Why all of them? The answer is because this is really what you need. You need to know that Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. You need to know that he has given his life and, and that it was uh, for the joy that was set before him that this caused him even to be willing to endure great shame for you because of his great love with, uh, with which he's loved you. You need to know that he is the sovereign Lord and that no opposition to Christ is ever going to be worth it because he's going to crush it on the last day. You need to know this. And when you know all these things about the Lord Jesus Christ and you were to ask, how can I endure it? The answer is very simple. You just look to this one and he will see you through. You look to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will get you to the finish line. He is the author of your faith and he is the finisher of it. You look to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are none who look to Jesus who will fail to be transformed from glory to glory. You think of, of Moses. You remember Moses, how he sees the shining face of, of God. Uh, not even as, as clearly as the disciples would have seen Christ, but nevertheless, he, he sees the, the, the glory cloud comes. And then every time Moses left, his face would shine like the sun. He didn't have to put a veil over his face. He was, he was transformed by the looking. And the point that the Apostle Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 3 is, is something that's even far greater. Uh, not just Moses, but every single Christian, every person who looks to the Lord Jesus Christ is transformed from glory to glory. What you have need of is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is stated even again in verse 3. Exhortation uh, is repeated. Consider him. Consider him. Another word for looking. Look to him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Think of all that he endured against himself. Consider all of his sufferings. Consider the way in which his death was a sacrifice for sins. Consider the way in which he defeated Satan by that death. Consider all that he suffered as he was opposed by sinners, as he was mocked and derided, as he had nails driven into his hands and his feet. Consider all these things. Look to this one in order that you yourselves might not grow weary. Look to him that you might not grow weary. Brothers and sisters, a, if you were to compare a runner to someone who runs the race of faith, you consider what is needed in, in each case. A strong runner, strong runners are those who train hard. They, they work hard. They're going to push their heart so that their heart can en endure. They're going to push their, their legs, their muscles to be able to, to, to run a, a long distance. Uh, who are those who run the race of faith? Well, it is those who look to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about natural strength, not about the training to perfect muscles for endurance. It is only about looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those who look to him are those who run the race with endurance. 
And brothers and sisters, consider it. Where else would you look? Who has shown you greater love? Who has opened a more glorious way to God? Who could make an atonement as glorious and as perfect and complete as that of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who reigns with the kind of sovereignty that Christ has, even as he himself has testified that all authority in heaven and on earth has in fact been given to him? Brothers and sisters, when things are challenging, when there is a temptation not to look to Christ, when there's a temptation for you to downplay the significance of coming to church, when there is a misery or a depression that sets in that seeks to separate you off from God's people, brothers and sisters recognize this is a temptation from the devil. There is only one thing that is needed, and that is for you to look to Christ. That is the one thing that the devil wants you not to do, and it is the one thing that is needed. May God grant you the grace so to do that you might endure like all of the cloud of witnesses have endured in every age. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we, do, how we do praise you, how we do bless your name as we consider, Lord, the great love with, with which you loved us. It is truly beyond comprehension. What, what words could even be used to describe it? What, what, what can be said of it that could be a sufficient description of it. Lord, you have loved us with an everlastingly glorious love, setting your affections on us before even the foundation of this world, knowing even all of our sins, all of our rebellion, all of our ungratefulness. And then still, even in the midst of this, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, if you are to do this for us, uh, what else can we do but give our lives to you? Lord, we, we consider our own weakness, the ways in which we are tempted to, to turn back. And yet, Lord, what can we say? It is, it is uh, Lord, simply inconsistent with the love that you have shown to us. Remember the words of, of Polycarp who was put to death? For 86 years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How could I deny my Lord who bought me? Lord, help us to see the goodness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to him, to have faces that are radiant in looking to him, and then so to endure. For we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. 